Well, come to Wiggly Neurosis. Poor me, poor, poor me. Got him hooked one time, so I got an OD. All I ever wanted, son, was a brick, a mask, and a hundred guns. Put a grip, better mash if you want it, son. For the chips, I be damn better run it, yo. Yeah. I'm painting portraits while it's off and spinning. I'm high as hell when indulging in these gorgeous women. Paved the future for boots as I'm contributing my two cents, so I'm a nuisance. Producing and I tighten the load. Last time I never recorded a podcast. No. The Calcus. No. We're not going to talk about that. Welcome into Weekly Neurosis. I'm Nate. And I'm Ethan. And this week is the numbers episode mm. because everything has a number in it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty pretty easy to it's figure. It's pretty easy to get to. Yeah. But uh, pretty cool. I'm pretty excited about this episode. Absolutely. We it's a, a long time coming, too. Yeah. Sorry about the delay. We were, You were sick. Yeah. And now there's a snowstorm, but we made it through that. That was not that bad. It wasn't that Yeah, It'll get bad later. But as again, the, the three things, they do have um, numbers in them. So for a movie, we're going to do 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yes. The very sem- semi-recent release. Our album is 3001 A Latest Odyssey by the Flatbush Zombies. And then our beer of the week is 1554 by New Belgium. I know that's one of your favorite beers. Yes. But do um, you want to talk about the beer? Yeah, let's drink them, let's, let's crack them, crack and uh, let's see what's going on. So yeah, this is one of my favorites. Um, and it's, I mean, compared to some of the craft beer out there, it's certainly not some hard-to-find or you know exclusive craft beer, really. 1554 is a, a beer from New Belgium. Uh, which is, you know, in general, a craft brewery that a lot of people know Nationally about. Nationally distributed. Right, exactly. And uh, this is just one of my favorites because for the style, which is, I believe, a black lager, um, it's it's just, like, perfect for the style. You can get it everywhere, and it's just a beer I'm never disappointed in. It's one of my favorite. But, yeah, mm-hmm. a New Belgian Brewery, it's based in Fort Collins, Colorado, and they currently pump out over 700,000 barrels. Is that annually? A That's year? annual. That's crazy. That's a lot of beer for a craft brewery. And what is that? What is that? Well, this, yeah, the stories is, is that they have for the beer is born of a flood and centuries-old text, 1554 uses lager yeast, strain, and dark chocolatey malts to redefine what dark beer can be. Um, in 1997, a Fort Collins, um, Fort Collins flood destroyed the original recipe. So That's crazy. They, I don't understand how they got the recipe then, but... Yeah, I don't know. I just love this beer, and... I don't it's really know. drinkable. It is. It's and it's it's roasty. It's got that roasted malt flavor to it. It's not. It's pretty light bodied, all things considered. It's not super high in alcohol content. I would imagine. Oh, let's see. It says on the bottle five point six percent. So I mean, it's pretty pretty normal for for pretty, pretty much yeah, any beer. And it's. I just. Well, I think it's yeah, delicious. I think it's wide. Like I think a lot of people would like this beer. A lot of people. Mm-hmm. I think even if you're not necessarily a beer person, it's just sweet enough. Right, that it'll get you. But if you're, well, if you're a total hophead, you probably wouldn't like this too much. But I, I'm, I'm a huge hophead, and I love it. I think, yeah, this is one when people are, if people ever ask me like, what a good beer is to try if you're not into craft beer, I always say, either Fat Tire, also from New Belgium, or 1554 are good options. Yep. Because um, you can get them everywhere, and they're, they're certainly not some crazy flavor punch of one thing or another. It's just a black lager. It's really delicious. You're right. It's got a lot of sweetness to it, but it's also roasty, and it's got some, not a little bit of body in it, but it's yeah. super drinkable. It's delicious. I love it. Yeah. But um, on to our word of the week, obviously the theme of this episode, which is numbers. It's obviously a noun, and it's arith- arithmetic. Arith- oh, boy. 
arithmetical value expressed by a word, symbol, or figure representing a particular quantity or used in counting and making calculations and for showing order in a series for, I, for identification. Option number two is a quantity or amount, which is much more simple. That's what I think of. Sure. But it's got to be the noun too. So what are numbers to you? I mean, I don't know. I think of math when I think of numbers, which I don't, I don't particularly care for math, which is ironic seeing as I work at a bank mm -hmm. and I really just deal with numbers all day, every day. But I guess I think numbers is they're complex. I always associate them with memorization mm -hmm. and organization and stuff. Numbers can be like enormous or small. They can be counted on one hand or numbers so big that we can't even begin to fathom them. But I mean, they're important. I think yeah. I think a mathematician would claim that everything is math. Everything is numbers. So I don't know. But numbers scare me. But yeah, <laughs> I think everything scares me. Everything. Yeah, that's what I've been saying. Like everything. Oh, it's kind of it can be scary, right? <laughs> I'm talking about math. I'm scared. And of you're math. scared of math too. <laughs> and for me, I think it's kind of like the basis for everything. Yeah. Like when you think about it, everything pretty much. This beer is based off a mathematical equation. Like computer programming, that's all numbers and code. It's like it's, it's everywhere. But yeah, I think definitely of math. I think of kind of like, I don't know, like code, like secret codes too. Okay. Like secret agent codes and stuff like that. It's but pretty intense. Yeah, but it's true. Everything everything is math. Yeah, man. It can be scary though. I I, I had to take because I went I was in the College of Business and I had to take like seven math classes. See, and I had a, I got a Bachelor of Science, so I had to take, like, eight credits of math. Oh, man. So. Advanced advanced trigonometry, I was just like, I didn't know what was even... Yeah, see, I don't even know what that means, but I had to take, like, a ton of English, so mm -hmm. I know lots about books. Lots about <laughs> books and reading. Mm-hmm. But um, on to our high-priority news items. Um, this is a really interesting story to me, is that it took um, Star Wars Episode Seven, and we've talked that show to death. We'll talk a little bit more to death this, this week. But it took it um, 12 days to gross $1 billion in global box offices. So, Which is a record, I believe. Which was a record. And But this week, uh, Broadway actually welcomed its third play all-time into the um, Billion Dollar Club. Uh, Wicked became the, the um, fourth play to gross over $1 billion in global sales solely from its box office sales. So that doesn't include merchandise or anything like that. So that's just raw, just tickets. Um, and it's um, it's 12 point, 12 and a half years faster than any other production. So how long total then did that take? Um, 12 years, I think that's oh, what okay. it was. Oh, that's true, I guess. If they are. But, um, yeah, I think, I think that's pretty incredible. When you think about how small theaters are, I mean, granted, the ticket prices are They can vary, pricier, I suppose. But, but how much of the gross, I wonder, is taken? Like, what percentage of a theater ticket goes to the production and what percentage of it stays in-house, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't and know. And I wonder how they... Because with movie tickets, when if you buy a $15 movie ticket, I don't think that necessarily counts as $15 towards the box office, does it? Isn't a portion of that kept in house for the movie theater? I think so. I think the I think just gross is just total ticket sales. They don't uh, really look at what true, goes to true, what. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. Okay. But still pretty. I've actually seen a Ben to see Wicked in Madison. I've never seen it. It's it's pretty good. It's one of the more popular. It's like Wizard of Oz, right? Yeah. It's kind of the backstory. Um, but yeah, the um, Lion King and Phantom of the Opera are the other two to do. It's actually it was the third film. I said the fourth. That was a misspeak. But pretty incredible when you think about it. 
to yeah. ever run that long and well, I know it's popular I don't know a whole lot about you know plays or musicals or, or anything like that and but this is one I've been aware of for a I mean I, like a decade it feels like it's I been mean, around forever yeah so that's cool though yeah cool story and um, then also as I mentioned to Star Wars it's gonna be roughly two years before we see the next installment um, come out but um, you can actually get Star Wars now in virtual reality they they created a uh, Lucas Films. It's I am I L M X Lab, um, which is a lab for immersive entertainment. Has created a virtual reality headset that gives you uh, an experience in the world of Star Wars, um, and it's going to connect to um, certain phones. I didn't look to see which ones they are, but it's between one hundred twenty and two hundred dollars. Hmm. Uh, this is kind of the the cusp of the virtual reality gaming that you're going to see a boom of here in a couple of years. Yeah, I guess so. That just feels like a niche I'm not going to get into, but I know people... I'm going to be all about it. I don't get it, man. To me, that's like... I feel like when we were kids, that was like the thing they had in science... On science fiction movies was like this virtual reality. Yeah, but when I was a kid, my brain was all the virtual reality I needed. This is going to make our kids look, I can't imagine anything. Yeah, they should just sell it to, you know, adults (laughs) like us, I guess, or something. I don't know, but... I think it's really cool, but yeah, the Sony Morpheus, which is going to somehow connect to a PS4, hmm. and then their next system is going to be supposedly entirely VR-based. It's interesting. It looks like we're moving away from bigger and bigger TVs with higher definitions to put the screen as close to our faces it's as possible. Humanly possible. <laughs> that, that was ultimately going to happen, I feel like. I guess. It was just always going to be that, but... And here I'm saying, oh, I think it's stupid, I'm never going to get into it, but in like three years, I'll be like, dude, I just got the new XL triple Samsung eyeglasses, I don't know. When you said XL, my mind instantly went to Taco Bell for some reason. Okay. I don't know, there must be a correlation there. Yeah. XL um, burrito? That's a thing. Yeah, that's it. There you go. Don't they have the XL box, too? Probably. They, They had that for a while. But, um, yes, that's that story. And then if you're a huge zombie fan, Universal Studios just announced that they're going to actually have a world based around around The Walking Dead. That's cool. Which is pretty cool. Um, And they're actually going to work with Greg Nicotero, who actually did the special effects for which movie? Wasn't it The Revenant? It might. I think it was. No, it was um, The Hateful Eight. The Hateful Eight. The Hateful Eight. Yeah, it was. He did the special effects for that. Um, and Which I watched again, by the way. As did I. And I liked it even less the second time. Yeah, I was kind of... I think the movie, to go off on a tangent here, Hateful Eight, the first half of that movie is like some of the best stuff he's ever done. And the second half of that movie just no dives, nose dives to me. But I digress. I digress. Greg no. Nicotero. Nicotero, yeah, he's going to help build this this world. I have to think, they haven't really, they've been pretty mum on what the rides are themes i think part of it's probably going to be a zombie survival game where you like go in and survive and... yeah yeah that stuff's becoming popular like uh rooms where you have like survival rooms and even though there's a couple locally by us where it's like an escape room and mm. you get you pay or whatever and they put you in this room and you need to solve the puzzles in order to unlock the door and get out and i know those have been like video games forever but now they're starting Real to do life. that and there's somewhere like zombies are slowly getting you know, breaking through the windows and stuff, and you need to get out in time or whatever. That's what I like. I want to know that my life is in imminent danger. See, that's no. And I'm gonna like die. That's, no, what, movie, that's what movies are for. I say that's true. That's in. 
This would be cool. No, I mean, that's, it's gonna be that's in California, great. But... And Walking Dead is super popular, so yeah. I mean, people are gonna love that. I think this kind of cements their their place in right. terms of of the TV Hall of Fame. I guess I don't know sure, if sure. there's such a thing. Although I think con- contrasting some of the more some of the other popular shows that people consider classics, Walking Dead, I don't think it has the consistent praise is is a quality show because i personally am not a big fan of it Mm -hmm. but i also have really not watched very much of it but i don't know i guess i i hear a lot of people they they watch it obsessively but a lot of people who i talk to seem to like go back and forth on whether they like it or not but it's i don't know i don't know much about it i'm not a professional on it i was just i've I've been a pretty dedicated fan and the seasons the seasons do kind of wane i've noticed well i think that's the same thing with a lot of shows it's just that this show has been on Forever, and it's going to be on for this foreseeable future because, if I understand this right, it gets more popular like every year. Mm-hmm. So, and I actually just went to um, Walker Stalker Con oh, last year, right, right, right. And I was blown. I mean, they had this entire the Navy Pier Ballroom, which is this huge like convention space. They had it full up with people. Like, wow. were there specifically for no other purpose other than to say, "Hey, I'm a huge fan of The Walking Dead." Here's my money. Like, well, here's my money. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So that's uh, that's this episode. This is the again the numbers episode. Um, coming up next, we will review um, Ten Cloverfield Lane, the recent release. Um, and in the break, she'll be hearing music from our album of the week, Three Thousand One: A Lace Odyssey from the Flat Bush Zombies. We're drinking fifteen fifty four. And again, up next, we'll we'll dig into Ten Cloverfield Lane, movie we saw two weeks ago. Yes, and I will. I have some thoughts as to why I think I'm actually happy we waited an extra week to talk about this. I too, I'm a little bit relieved too because I had a little bit of time to marinate on that. Yeah, I needed a lot more time to marinate on Ten Cloverfield Lane than I did that album. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's this episode. And again, uh, in the breaks, you're going to be hearing music from our album of the week, and you can download this album along with millions of others on a multitude of streaming services. You can even steal it if you feel like pirate. Don't do that. Why do you always say that? We're so gonna, just say it. Just letting people know where you can find the music. We're going to get in trouble. Probably. We don't steal music. I don't I have Apple that. music. Yeah, me too. Technically, Apple, it's like... Apple gets all my money. They do. They're robbing us blind. All right. We'll be right back with 10 Cloverfield Lane again in the breaks. The Flatbush Zombies. We'll be right back. Weekly Neurosis. I never said it. I'm trying to be better than God. What the fuck am I saying? I ain't even into my brain. Welcome back to Weekly Neurosis. It's time for our movie of the week. And once again, this movie review will be 100% spoiler free. Which is important for this movie. Yep, very important for this movie. But also, if you're listening to this, you've probably seen it. Maybe. But either way, we're not going to spoil it. I know a lot of people that haven't seen this movie yet. Yeah, that's true. We won't spoil it. We'll do our mm-hmm. best. No promises. It's hard. It's very. This is another one like The Witch that's very hard to not spoil. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to kind of go with the very. I core, think this we could we can talk about this core competencies of the film, yeah, yeah, like yeah. just like the. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you're gonna you're doing it right. Yeah, I'll do it. Rock and roll. All right, so Ten Cloverfield Lane, 
a wonderful film released in 2016. The plot of this movie is, after getting in a car accident, a woman is held in a shelter by two men who claim the outside world is affected by a widespread chemical attack. Uh, this movie stars Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, John Goodman, John Gallagher Jr., and Bradley Cooper in a very, very, very small role. Uh, this was directed by first-time feature film director Dan Trachtenberg, produced by J.J. Abrams and Lindsay Weber, written by Josh Campbell, Matt Stukin, and Damien Chazelle, which is that the guy who directed Whiplash? Why do I feel though? Why is that name familiar? Anyways, it's an the music is by Bear McCreary and the cinematography by Jeff Cutler. Um, principal photography, this is interesting. Principal photography began on October 20th, 2014 in New Orleans, Louisiana, and nobody really knew this movie existed until like three months ago. It was promoted under, um, initially promoted as a diff, totally different Yeah, but nobody name. had any idea. Nobody that had any idea what it was. And that's so great that it was filmed so long ago. And filming took place in chronological order in only one set. Scenes involving explosions, fire, and smoke were shot in... Hanville, Louisiana, in early December 2014, and filming ended December 15th, 2014. So, yeah, that's some interesting details about the yeah, movie. Yeah, I, like, I think it's interesting they filmed it in chronological order. You don't often see I, that. I think The Revenant was as well. Yeah, which so yeah, they had to go location by location. Right, and you really don't see that that well. So, okay, so what did you think of this movie? And what were, I think, a, a, a good thing to talk about, too, is what were your, what were your like expectations going in? Seeing as that it was... Cloverfield. Yep. You know? That's what that's honestly what I somewhat expected, but I also knew that since JJ Abrams had something to do with this, there was gonna be a big <clears> twist. <throat> I think the biggest twist for me is and to me what was amazing is how many different like subgenres of film this this movie embodies. I mean you mm-hmm. have the psychological elements, horror, science fiction, and then technically they somewhat you know, you're expecting the sequel too. So it has to do a lot of different things and it they really did it. And they did it with such a small cast. Yeah, really like, only three people. Yeah, right? Bradley Cooper's mentioned... You hear his voice. You hear his voice and that's it. That's not really a spoiler. And no. for those of you who are doping and praying that he was like a, a major no. player in the movie, he wasn't. But it's really just those three actors who all served a certain purpose and they all were very well cast. Um, I thought the the plot was good, but we'll, we'll kind of get into that. What did you think of this? Yeah, I think... You know, when they when I first saw the trailers for this, I, you know, with, with it being Cloverfield, what do you, mm-hmm. how is this a sequel, isn't it? And we won't really go into that, but I think it's safe to say that this movie was at least conceived as being in the same film series as Cloverfield, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But so while I guess I had certain expectations going in, even though this movie was completely different than what I expected it to be. I still really, really liked it, and I think I liked it just as much, if not even more, than the first Cloverfield movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, just overall, like you said, it, it covers a lot of ground. It's suspenseful, it's scary, it's, it can has some humorous parts, it's part science fiction maybe, and all mm-hmm. those things in it. Uh, the performances in this are really what carries the movie. Yeah, I think that's the heart of the movie, but really, there, I really have... Not a whole lot to complain about, and we can talk more of you know ups and downs we have in this movie. But uh, overall, yeah, this was awesome. This was a really entertaining movie. Yeah, I think from an acting standpoint, I mean, John Goodman, I think out of the three characters, makes the film. Yeah, because he kind of he's the vehicle for the whole film to kind of create, the, just keeps you entertained. Right. You know, for the whole time. I think the other two, 
John Gallagher Jr.'s character, I mean, I wasn't really... He's, he's basically just a vehicle character. He's kind of the... If, it, if, with, if his character wasn't in this movie, this movie would be too serious, I think. You know what I mean? There, it would be almost unbearably uh, suspenseful. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, his character is kind of the weakest of the three, but I yeah. think he's a necessary part. You and know. yeah, Mary and Mary Elizabeth Weinstead. She's she's kind of just a scrappy character. You get that from the start. Man, I don't know. But I she's thought... she's kind of she's kind of got these weak. Elements. She's very mysterious. All the three characters are kind of like you don't really know what to make of them. You don't know if mm-hmm. or what's really ever going on. And that kind of ties into the plot. It kind of has this continuity right from start to finish that keeps you kind of guessing. And asking, well, you know, is this person good? Can they do this? Will this work? What's going on? Uh-huh. And that keeps you entertained throughout the film. Yeah, because what? Yeah, the driving thing in this movie is she wakes up in this bunker, mm-hmm. and he says, outside there is this chemical attack, some sort of thing going on. But basically, if you go outside, the air is poisoned and you'll die. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know for sure. Well, eventually we find out what's going on, if anything at all, without spoiling anything, what's going on. But that's like the main thread in the first like seven eighths of this movie is that tension and the ups and downs of it. And yeah, John Goodman, you're you're with him, you're against him. He's kind of creepy, but you kind of like feel sorry for the guy and see how he's good. But I think in a lot of ways, while I do think John Goodman is the best in terms of the acting in here, I really think the character of I believe Michelle was the girl in this. Yeah. Played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead or Winstead, however you say it. I thought her character was really interesting as well. And one thing I appreciated about her character in this was that contrasting a lot of these kind of thriller survival movies, her character was really intelligent. Mm -hmm. She was always making smart choices. She was always one step ahead of me even. She was always figuring things out where I feel like in a lot of movies like this, normally, you know, a female character uh, would... They kind of play them as the victim, and she was super smart in this, and I just kind of felt it was refreshing and how they tie her personal story and what was going on before this stuff started happening and how they end the movie. It felt very complete to me. Mm-hmm. It did, and it, I mean, when the film was was done, I did feel like the whole, that's, that story was satisfied. Big time. Versus other movies that, you know, are maybe part of a, you know, a sequel or, you know, they just don't finish. I mean, the Coen brothers are pretty well known for making stories that you just kind of understand this character kind of just goes off into this land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, this, you feel like it's a complete story, as if it's like a chapter or a, a book, yeah. you know, or something. I thought it flowed extremely well. Yeah, and I think one thing we should stress is how, like, eerie and suspenseful this movie is. because just from almost start to finish. I mean, she wakes up chained to a wall in this creepy yeah. basement, and this stuff slowly un- gets unveiled, and there's all these different situations. And it's super intense. All yeah. the way up, I really thought up to the end. And, yeah, there, I mean, the last act in this movie is sort of jaw-dropping in what they do with it. And uh, I think maybe... If I have, this isn't, for me personally, I loved how it ended, but I do think that the ending might be divisive for some people. Yep. The, the kind of, I won't necessarily say twist, but the, the, the way they take the movie in the last part might throw some people off in a bad way. Mm-hmm. But, and, and, and that's actually what I said before. I'm glad we waited because I think the first two or three days after we saw this movie... I was sort of torn on, like, I mean, I was entertained by how they end this movie, and it's certainly exciting, but I was like, was that really, like, is the substance there, does that really serve the sort of meat of this movie that has these really interesting stories about John Goodman and his his relationship with his daughter and all this stuff? But the more I've thought about how this ends, the more I kind of like it. 
You know what I mean? Like, and that's mm-hmm. just for me personally, because I loved how this movie ended the more I think about it. Yeah, because they throw... <laughs> one issue that I had was they do throw some nuggets towards the end in terms of determining John Goodman's character, and they never really develop them. They're just kind of left there for no good reason. Okay. Which I had kind of an issue, but I think that kind of ties into everything, and I did have some issues with the ending being kind of like Spielberg-esque. There's some elements of that, like yeah. borderline corny stuff that goes on, but... Maybe, and I, I think that's one of my biggest negatives as well. We we mentioned before that this director, this is his first time as, at his feature film, and with this being produced by J.J. Abrams, and that being a big draw for this movie, um, you know, J.J. Abrams has already had his fair share of criticism for being a Spielberg copycat. Mm-hmm. In this movie, while I think it's super well made, I don't necessarily think that this director is standing on his own. This almost felt like a J.J. Abrams movie yeah. or a Spielberg movie. Yeah. yeah. The way it looked, even the music, everything. And that's not to say it was bad. It's just it did feel, I agree, a little bit derivative. Yeah. And that, that was an, a big issue that I had with it. And I had it as kind of a major issue. I kind of now moved it back to a minor. Um but again, I can't really stress enough. I'd recommend almost anyone go see this. It's a crowd pleaser because it's I think. a total crowd pleaser. You'll be entertained the entire, almost the entire duration of the film. Sure, yeah. I don't think there's ever really a down moment, and it's just it's a good film to watch. You know, yeah. I think I'll I'll buy it for sure by this. Yeah, this is going to go in, in my collection too for yeah, sure. This very was fun, and and I also appreciate originality as well. I mean, in, in, I, technically it's a sequel, right? Mm-hmm. But this is largely a, an original piece of work and I appreciate that now where most movies are riding on being part of a franchise and while you could argue this is I think this is kind of putting a twist on that I don't think this <clears throat> spoils it but it's kind of like the the TV series The Wire okay. every season is a unique story or True Detective or True yeah. Detective everything's a unique story but I think The Wire is a better example because it's every it's all based in Baltimore. Right, 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 right. So it's kind of the same possible universe. You don't even know that, really. Yeah. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But and it kind of it still ties in in this very minute way. Yeah, I think that, that would... I think there's going to be a lot of debate on how this connects to Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. The original, that is. Yeah. Um, Which is but, found footage, and this is like a theatrical No, no, no. Release. Yeah, this is not found footage. So I think that adds to kind of the intrigue of this movie. It being... I, yeah, and we don't want to spoil it. So, yeah. I mean, if you, if if you're like going like what what are these people talking about? Just go see this go movie see it, cause cause it's it's out there. But cinematography wise, I thought they did a pretty decent job mm-hmm. of my, what I liked about it is that the, with the outdoor scenes, they make the people feel small, mm-hmm. and that's something through in the in the beginning part when she's driving in this very opening sequence, she's this little dot, right, and that's right. kind of how it's supposed to make you feel. Whereas then throughout the rest of the movie, they kind of actually do a pretty good job, even though they're in this little bunker. Yeah, they make it very claustrophobic. Yeah, claustrophobic, and also dark, and kind of you—you you don't feel good for right, them right. being down there, even though they're, you know, supposedly alive and stuff. Living, it doesn't feel good. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. I was into it. Hmm. <clears throat> CGI was pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any. I can't really say too much about that, though. Yeah, if there was CGI, if there was what are you even CGI? talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about. What would you rate this, though? Um, well, my original score walking out of the theater was like was a solid 8 out of 10, but again, the more I thought about this, the more I liked it. Um, I thought it was exciting, it was well acted, it was scary, it had humorous moments to co- sort of break the tension, but it was all around an original and entertaining movie. And I'm actually uh, going to give this an 8.5 out of 10. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I'm really happy about that because I, you know every movie we've reviewed for 2016 so far I've really been into and I'm I haven't really been disappointed yet. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty happy about that. So I really like this 8.5 out of 10 for me. What about you? Well, I had it right. I would have put this at a nine, mm -hmm. believe it or not. But there were some just abhorrent, believe it or not, errors that I'm not good at picking out errors in films. I'm really not. And there are a few scenes that I'd, I'd encourage you if you can spot them. They're pretty obvious. That's that was, ridiculous. I'm serious. They, there's no, no, no. I don't care. But the, that's to me knocked it down to an it's eight an, point seven. You're nitpicker. You're nitpicker. That was a nitpick, but it was like, come on. You're nitpicker. It was nine it out was of ten. So obvious. Nine out of ten from Nate, everybody. <laughs> eight point seven final. Ridiculous. 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 <laughs> no, yeah, it's that a, good. And I just, I thought this was a really, 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 really digestible film. For sure, I. It's, like, I don't. I'd be shocked if someone was like, oh, "It was unbearable to watch." Cause yeah. I, you know. I just appreciate this this effort and making a movie that's in a lot of ways sort of a bottle movie, mm -hmm. this small movie, but has these big ideas and manages to create these like super super detailed characters in a lot of ways it's a character study as yeah. well it's it's awesome really, it's really small good. budget too yeah mm -hmm. really small budget well we just said they shoot it shot it in one like yeah plot of land i can't believe they shot it that long ago and they kept it under wraps that long i guarantee they wanted to wait until after star wars to release this because mm -hmm. if they they knew star wars was going to be a big hit and if no matter what you put J.J. Abrams' name on now, even though he didn't direct this or write it or really anything. He's going to be Mr. Uh, Star Wars. But again, I, I do think this the style of the movie, it just had that sheen. It looked like a cross between War of the Worlds, like just not necessarily, I mean, just like the, the filming style of it, which is a Spielberg movie. Mm -hmm. Like just the way it was filtered, like the color grain, and, and then uh, Super 8, which... Has that sort of you know, and that's a J.J. Abrams movie. And actually, when I walked out of the theater, didn't I say that that's reminded me of an adult, adult version of Super Eight? And it is, it is kind of that, and the music too was kind of had that that feel to it. I actually been listening. I, I realized the other day that I hadn't been listening. I was tweeting about this too. If you follow us on Twitter at Weekly Neurosis, sometimes I forget if I'm on my personal Twitter. Or if I'm on a weekly neurosis <laughs> one, so sometimes I'll just be tweeting like random shit. But uh, no, I was. Uh, I realized I hadn't really been listening to any. Uh, soundtracks this year, so I listened to this one. Really, and, and you listen to a lot of soundtracks. Yeah, I, mean, I, I downloaded like five of them the other day, and hmm. this was one of them. And yeah, it's pretty solid. It's good stuff. Yeah, but good stuff. And yeah, it was originally the. And I think in the script here, I put notes and then a double colon. I think I meant to put the whole release story because it was originally like funded under a, under a different name, hmm. and they did all this like secret code stuff to make sure the that seller. Yep. That was what the script was originally called. I remember hearing about that. Yeah. And they morphed it into this sort of Cloverfield-esque concept. But you really got to see it to, to see if or how it connects to the original. Because it's strange. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. But I... Oh, oh. Oh. Anyways. Anyhow. I digress. I digress. But I'm on to our high-priority news <clears throat> items. Indiana Jones, which this, this headline was two weeks ago. This is an old headline, but still... Shocked me. They're making another movie. Yep. And um, it's been announced. Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg once again are going to team up for a fifth film together under the Indiana Jones. Has he? I wonder. I didn't look up if they had worked together prior with anything else. But um, the fifth installment of the series, and it's going to be due all the way in 2019. Yeah, I don't know. You know, and you know, and that's cool. I'm excited. I, yeah. I mean, I like Indiana huge, Jones. Huge. But what's funny to me is how Harrison Ford has made this big, big stink in the last like five to ten years about how 
you know, he's sick of doing sequels and he's sick of these franchises and he hates signing on for sequels. But, like, I mean, he's doing Blade Runner 2 right now. Mm-hmm. He just did a seventh Star Wars movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess only his fourth, technically. And now he's doing another Indiana Jones. I just think it's kind of strange that he's kind of a franchise actor, but he seems to not be interested in being in franchises. When that's kind of his lifeblood, it seems. Yeah. Because otherwise he has like some cult classics like Clear and Present Danger. The um, uh, Patriot Games. Yeah. Those are good. I mean, I love Blade Runner. I mean, yeah. that's... It's classic. That's a movie I watch a couple of times a year. But yeah, I mean, this is it's cool. I, I'm a big fan of Indiana Jones. I know a lot of people hated the last one. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was perfectly entertaining, and it's, it's, it wasn't a great film by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But I, I thought it was all right. Just a possible bold prediction. Do you think they'd bridge this? Like, have some other... I don't think you could really Like, do at that. the end of this, he, like, finds the Millennium Falcon in a tomb, <laughs> and he, like, jumps in it and flies away. Well, no, like... Bri- I, I'm and he's like, I'm Han Solo now. I'm on now. He just takes it. I just get the best on. He's like, Enough. No, but like I, I don't know what they're gonna do with this. If they do, uh, they, do you end it? Do you make somebody else Indiana Jones? Everybody thought that with the last one he was kind of handing the what would he what would Indiana Jones his hat or his whip handing the whip? Yeah, he's passing the whip to everybody. Thought it was gonna be to uh, Shia LaBeouf. LaBeouf. But you know I don't think LaBeouf is gonna do. I don't know is that LaBeouf or LaBeouf? I have no idea. I know that he robs Walgreens. And he's a strange man, but and... I don't think he's gonna do this because he's really expressed disinterest in doing. Uh, big budget action movies, and that's like that's India. That's what Indiana yeah, Jones that's is. Kind of its its DNA. But yeah, it'll be. A, I'm sure it'll be a big box office hit. Yeah, I mean, even though everybody bitched and complained about the last one, they'll all go and see they'll this. I'll go back. But um, and then connecting, you just mentioned it. The Millennium Falcon. Loose reports, not confirmed. Once again, Star Wars. This is Episode eight, right? Or is it six? Eight. What, the next one. Yeah, it's eight, it's eight. Man, what are you talking? Yeah, I don't about? know. The loose report is that the new, uh, the young Han Solo is going to be a big part of the next one. Has been whittled down to four names, uh, who recently tested for the role, which is really, really loose. Mm-hmm. But um, the list is pretty good. We've got Jack Raynor, Raynor from Transformers and Macbeth, uh, Taron Egerton from Eddie the Eagle and Kingsman, The Secret Service, and he's also in Legend as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Emery Cohen from Brooklyn, who would be a good. I think he is kind of the facial structure. Yeah, yeah. And then Alden uh, Einrich from Hail Caesar. Aaron Reich. Aaron Reich. Yeah, um, from what I understand, it sounds to me like Taron Edgerton is the favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, which would be great because he... I think any of these guys he, would be good. Yeah, except for Jack Rayner. But, I mean, I didn't... I thought he was terrible in Transformers Age of Extinction, but so was everybody else. Yeah. And he was good in Macbeth, so I guess that's something, but... Taron Edgerton would be good because, I mean, Kingsman the Secret Service was a movie that totally surprised me. Um, and, but I think my personal pick, if I, had, if, I, if I was working at Disney and I, could, <laughs> and I could pick the next Han Solo, I would pick Alden Ehrenreich. Really? He was awesome in Hail Caesar and he had kind of a bit role, but it was important. That was such a weird movie. But yeah. he was also in a couple of other movies I like. Okay, he was in this movie... Where it was, it was kind of in the wake of Twilight, where they were, they came up with a whole bunch of these like tweeny uh, fantasy love type movies, and most of them got like one movie, and they all nobody went and saw them, so they never got sequels. And there was one that came out called Beautiful Creatures. Yeah, and he was in it, and I saw that movie, and all the movie itself was you know exactly what you'd think given the description I just gave. But I remember watching that movie and thinking like, 
Okay, that guy in there, this main dude, was, like, awesome. Like, the, his his acting was so funny, and he seemed to be, like, so excited, and he was giving such a good performance. I was, like, I had, like, my, my fingers crossed that this dude would be something else, and now he was in Hail Caesar, which was great, and he might play Han Solo. How awesome is that? Yeah. I think that's super cool. But, yeah, that was the, the big thing, and it, it was really impressive how closely they're monitoring this and... Oh, yeah. And Can you imagine the, the thought that goes in the casting somebody like who's gonna play Han Solo that yeah. makes like makes your career oh like, yeah for, for the most I mean granted you could screw it up just as easily but I mean you're you're Han Solo you have at a minimum you're gonna make a mint off of you know just appearances Maybe, and, and all that well yeah I think it, it, totally... it, it makes a name for yourself but like if you look at newcomers in The Force Awakens Daisy Ridley and uh uh, John Boyega, they both made like less than a million. Their paychecks were like seven hundred fifty thousand, which was, I mean, sure a shitload of money for us normal folks, but mm-hmm. for an actor in a movie like that, that's pretty small. Yeah. But you get that name because everybody knows. One year ago, nobody knew who Daisy Ridley or John Boyega was, and now everybody knows who they are. Yeah. And this is the yeah, like you said, this is the kind of performance where that makes you. If you're mm-hmm. Han Solo, I mean, everybody's gonna know who you are. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know the progression of of Harrison Ford's career if that really solidified him or not. But well, that was certainly the, didn't hurt. No, that was his. That was what made him. man. Yeah. in the original uh, Star Wars movie, he was in a couple things before that. But when, if you kind of look at the history of the of A New Hope, the the first Star Wars film, he. I mean, he was like a carpenter. He was kind of on the fence on whether he wanted to be in this movie or not. I think other people were even cast as the role, and he went to read, and he was good. I don't even know the whole story, but he... he I mean, Han Solo made that guy, and then he went to do Indiana Jones and Blade Runner not long after. But yeah, I mean, it's... A lot of cult classic movies. Yeah, yeah. Know, Harrison Ford. Sure. And Ender's Game. Ender's Game! That came out a couple years ago. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. You can't make a book as a movie. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. You have to change things. Um, there's a, for no matter what series it is, and that's it's been the same since the dawn of filmmaking adaptations. People who read the book are going to complain about the movie, yep. and th- and that's totally it makes perfect sense. But my, I mean, for me personally, and this is just me, so I can only speak for myself. As long as an adaptation captures the essence of it, that's all I care about. And I can't speak for this of Divergent Allegiant series because mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not really. I saw the first movie. I've never read any of the books. I don't know. But I think as long as something really captures the spirit of what's going on, that's the important thing. If it really you walk away with that same feeling the book gave you. Mm-hmm. But when you're like, ooh, you know, in this scene, so and so said a different line, or they changed this part, happened before this part. It's it's kind of piddly. It's relative, yeah. So I don't know. What, I don't know what you think about that. But. Well, and for me, the book books have the luxury of being limitless. Mm-hmm. Like they can go into this massive detail, go on tangents, you know, go be like some of the latest Lord of the, Lord of the or not Lord the of Hobbit. the Hobbit. Well, the Hobbit books were huge at the end. The latest um, Tolkien books are, or the oh my god. Game of Thrones, good lord. I was like, The Thrones. Hobbit was pretty short. No, but no, the latest Game of Thrones books, those oh, are like right, right, right. thousands of pages long. You can't cover that much detail in 120 minutes. No. Right, and what do they say the average is, like one minute per page? Yeah, roughly. And even, like, The Hobbit is a 200-something page book, so that's at least a three, four-hour-long movie. I mean, mm-hmm. we all know that was dragged out a little bit. And But there's going to be meaningless stuff in a book. 
You know, like that's well, just like it's their it's their sort of it fits the plot, but yeah, you like, can't put everything in. Yeah, like I said, dude, it it it's a different medium. Yeah. Like it's not necessarily meaningless in the book, but when you translate it into film, it's probably meaningless. Yeah. You can't yeah. just drag it in and poof, you've got a movie. Yeah, but. it's just a different flow. It's just a totally different uh, thing. So yeah. yeah, yeah, I get it though. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I mean, we, we, we'll talk about this when we talk about Batman versus Superman. But yeah, people who are into comics and novels, they get pretty crazy when their adaptations aren't exactly how they want them to be. Yeah, that's life, though. That is life, man. But on to our weekly segment, By the Numbers, um, where we cover the top five grossing movies in the United States of America and also the occasional flops that do occur in modern cinema. Ethan, why don't you start us off? All right, so number five in its sixth week of release is Deadpool, which made a weekend gross of about $8 million and a total of 300 and, I'm sorry, $340 million. Almost 341 million. Um, so domestically, I believe I read that this was the number one R-rated movie in North America of all time, and now worldwide it is also wow. the number one R-rated movie of all time. Huge, so hugely successful. Huge success. I mean, just made a 58 million dollar budget compared to the the huge stacks of money this thing made. Awesome, and it's a good movie too. So yeah. And number four is uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, which is in its second week. Uh, last week it was the number two film. It grossed just over $12.5 million for a total gross of $45 million. Didn't list the budget. I would but, imagine it's sub $30 million. Yeah, with mar- even with marketing and promotion. And I think, I, I, know, I know some people I think are maybe looking at this and saying, oh man, it's second week it dropped to number four and it's only made $45 million. But I don't really think that the studio was expecting this to be a smash hit or anything. Mm-hmm. The way they advertise it, they kind of dropped it out of nowhere. Um, it's really making its money based on its positive word of mouth uh, and you know people who really like that original Cloverfield film. But uh, yeah, yeah, cool stuff. All right, so number three is a new release, uh, Miracles from Heaven, which is a weekend gross of fourteen point eight million, and a total gross of eighteen million, and a budget of thirteen million. Uh, so I mean that made all of its money back, and then some on week one, and that's uh, a faith-based film. A you know they've been doing those a couple. They've been releasing one every couple of weeks, it seems. And it, and it looks, you know, it, this didn't look like anything I'm interested in. It's just, I'm not that I have anything against faith-based items. It's just, this looks super kind of sappy and sentimental. Mm-hmm. Um, and the trailer literally tells you the entire the story. Entire it's story. Never a good start. But uh, it doesn't look like the movie for me, but hey, I mean, I, I think that, that gross for that weekend, I mean. Pretty be, good. Yeah, it did pretty good for itself. Miracles from heaven. Um, number two is the we just talked about it. The Divergence series is last, or it's the last installment, isn't it? I think there's one more. Is there? Oh my god! So Which isn't their, good based on this. Yeah. So this is their most recent uh, from Lionsgate Allegiant. It grossed just over 29 million. Um, this is its first week. It has so far produced 29 million, of course, and on a 110 million dollar budget. So it's not doing great. Not doing great. And I know that there's a lot of reviews that it just didn't quite... Yeah. This is, I think this is a series that never quite made the cut. I mean, it's riding that Hunger Games that Hunger Games trail. And I just think this whole young adult thing is kind of playing out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I only... I, don't, I can't speak for this movie, but uh, it just doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. Like, I just don't care to see it. It just looks so... 
boring, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to look at the box office here. And so this movie made what, uh, 29 million its first weekend? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to look. Yeah, the first movie made 54.6 million its first weekend. Wow. So that's a huge drop. That's a big drop. So if they're making another one of these puppies, they better put it out because nobody's going to go see another one. And this is getting bad reviews, too. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just feel like the whole young adult thing is just kind this of... This is the third one, right, I think? Because there's been... And I think, actually, I'm looking right now on the internet, and it looks like, yeah, there's one more movie coming out called Ascendant. And it's uh, apparently there was only three books, and they've split it into two. Uh, Instead of calling it Allegiant Part 1... They're calling it Allegiant and then Ascendant. So, well. Their mistake. Yeah, I guess so. All right, and then the number one movie of the weekend for, what is this, like the third week in a row is Zootopia, which made $37 million this weekend with a total gross of $200 million. Uh, Dominating. I mean, just taking over. Money's all over the place. Yeah. Haven't seen it yet, but I heard, I've just heard nothing but awesome stuff about it. Yeah. So nothing's been able to unseat it yet, but I think we'll see it drop off next week when Batman versus the, Superman comes the DC out. DC comic universe. When all of the nerds, including myself, who's going, to see, I'm going to see Batman tomorrow. And <laughs> what are you doing? I was trying to make a good. I don't think a nerd would make that sound. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm a nerd, and I don't make that sound. Uh, but yeah, that's by the numbers. Another. I kind of—I mean, I didn't look at the total gross for theaters. It seems like it was kind of a down week. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, been worse. Wasn't any big. There weren't any like huge, massive, really releases. Oh, I think they tr- were hoping Allegiant would be, but that's not panning out how they thought. But people, there are the series has its fans, and I hope they like the movie, and I hope they their last one comes out. Uh, you know, I hope. And yeah, makes a difference. Because I would—I don't like to go into movies. Thinking, oh, I hope this bombs. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's kind of a, a cynical way to well, go. For, on. And for a hardcore like movie fan, you have actually have a pretty positive outlook compared oh, yeah. to like most people. Oh god, I don't think I've ever gone into a movie like I know some people who are like, God, I hope that sucks. So it's fans. It's like, shut up, man. Why would you want to move? Why would you? What is the psychology behind somebody who goes who takes glee in a movie not getting great reviews or people not liking it just because what they can look him in the eyes and say, I told you so? What kind of psychopath? Yeah. <laughs> does that? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I like most movies I see. I try to find something I like in most of them. And yeah, this is just a series I'm just not interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I hope I hope it's great for the fans. I hope whoever likes it, likes it. I think, honestly, their pro- for me, their problem is that they have way too much Ellie Goulding in their soundtrack. Like, uh-huh. it was overwhelming in the last one. It's like, every time it's like, I don't remember what her name is. It's like Triss or some weird thing yeah, like that. Yeah, it's Triss. Anytime she's, like, looking out over something, it's an Ellie Goulding song. Why is like, it oh, that... she's looking over another field. Quick, cue the Ellie Goulding. Why is, it, why is it that in all these young adult future movies that everybody has, like, they're always Crazy wearing, like, Abercrombie and... and Fitch clothing, and they all have, like, perfect haircuts, and they're always looking out into the sunset, and, yeah, like, indie rock is playing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this, I, I agree with you. I think this kind of, that subgenre trend is kind of ending but yeah, there's another maze runner movie yet and another one of these man yeah. they're, they're really going to be struggling to make their money back on i like the first maze runner the second one i didn't like too much yeah i liked the first maze mm-hmm. runner a lot. i haven't seen the second one yet yeah, uh, it's not it's on my to see list but there's just so many damn movies so yeah but yeah, yeah it's the life but 
And yeah, that's been our movie section. We come back, we're going to cover our album of the week, which is the Flatbush Zombies 3001 A Laced Odyssey. Um, we'll cover that. And again, in the breaks here, you will be hearing music from that album. Weeping Neurosis will be right back. Oh, I've been doing it. You're not that inventive with that color. Yeah, you're losing it. I'm an everyday struggle till I get to the top. I study Bim, Bim, Tech, Nine, Two, Hop, 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 Introducing the Jamie Hewlett to rap of music influence. <laughs> Come on. Keep it professional. Welcome back. Weekly Neurosis. It's time for the album of the week. And this week it's the Flatbush Zombies 3001 A Laced Odyssey, which was, I think, just released. Right? Mm-hmm. Brand new 2016 release. 2016 variety. And they are a hip hop group based out of the Flatbush neighborhood, hence the name, the Flatbush Zombies. Mm-hmm. And my iPad is jammed. <laughs> Here we go. So, this is the debut studio album for the Flatbush Zombies, who hail from, like I said, the Flatbush area of Brooklyn, New York. Uh, they originally formed in 2012, and it's comprised of childhood friends who go by the names of Meech Juice and Eric Ark Elliott. Uh, they originally bonded over Dragon Ball Z, which was actually, if you listen to some of their early stuff, that's very prevalent, and they're all of Jamaican descent. In their teenage years, the group began uh, dabbling in psychedelic drugs, which heavily influenced the music uh, that they ended up making. Uh, the group released this album actually under their own independent record label, The Glorious Dead Records, uh, and the cover art was um, designed by David Nakayama, who also... Uh, worked on the Marvel Adventures and has done work with Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Just interviewed that movie, on Big Hero Six as well. As well, and very sarcastically, uh, we don't know who actually produced the album, but they claim the album was produced by God. All right. So, Ethan, what did you think of this? Okay, um, so Flatbush Zombies—they're you know—they're a, you know, a hip hop group that I, I've, I'm aware of. I've mm-hmm. been aware of them. I've heard their name crop up here and there, but I've never heard them before. Uh, we chose this album to listen to and for the most part i think this is a pretty pretty solid album mm-hmm. i think it's got great production it's got i think the the, the it's big shining star is the, the the variation on it especially from what are the that's what are their names meech juice and eric something eric arc arc elliot yeah that guy i think all three of those guys have like super distinct personalities and they play off of each other really well and the one dude has like a terrifying like Tom Waits voice. type voice that yeah. is just absolutely hypnotic, uh, but I think the best thing about this album is it has this d- d- distinct, gritty production, really interesting uh, group dynamic. But I think for the most part, I think this is it's sort of in one ear out the other. It's a super lyrical album. The whole album is pretty much just it's very very based on lyrics and rhyming and everything. And I think the biggest complaint I have is that it's not real memorable. There's really no particular song out of a song here and there that I really liked. But it's also not bad. I think it's a, it's kind of a cool album, but it doesn't really do a ton for me. Mm-hmm. But we can talk more about it. What, do, what about you? What do you think about this? Well, they kind of, for me, I've listened to their... I'm, and I, I struggle if it's their debut mixtape, because I listened to one of their mixtapes, and it was really, really like gritty... 
Yeah. Not a lot of production value to it, but they kind of came up with this whole Beast Coast movement, which has produced acts like like ASAP Rocky, a lot of people are familiar with, French Montana and Action Bronson. And to me, they I don't think they really crossed over with this album. I think they they got there in some sense of the way. Mm-hmm. But just to talk about the, the quality of it, we can kind of jump into that. Um, I think when you look at hip-hop songs and hip-hop albums, it's got to have bars, beats, and hooks. Those are the three things you need to have. I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> yep, and they they have pretty much the, the bars are really good. Mm-hmm. You, they excel at that. The beats are moderate to good. I don't see a single hook no in this hooks. whole goddamn album. Nothing. There's nothing, nothing. melodic or memorable about no. any of these songs. It just goes on and on and on. And while they're the, the three MCs, if that's what they're still called today, are skilled, they don't ever end it just keeps going and going and going and then they throw you in this new direction and then they're throwing you in a new direction mm-hmm. so that really that 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 hurt them because they lost one of the the core three and especially with an album that's as old school as this you need mm-hmm. to do these three things you know the bars beats you need to do those spot on or else you're nothing right i agree and like yeah the album is so, like super intense in yeah. a lot of ways it's super it's it's like you said it's just non-stop lyrics lyrics heavy muddy beats that are mm-hmm. it's just all over the place and and the lyrics range i mean there's they cover there there's some songs that are about nothing but drugs and, and suicide and god but then it can first, be about yeah. they'll they talk about trayvon martin in one song and they'll have the yeah they have talk about guns and drugs but then they'll talk about just partying and getting wasted and trying all this stuff and it's just yeah it's just kind of just this non-stop current of mm-hmm. of thoughts that are loosely strung together by these different beats but uh yeah it's never it's never ending yeah there's really no there i mean there's no melodic moment on this album that i remember if there's any at all on it yeah and it kind of it takes you through this kind of like you know like when you go on like a like a fun ride, like a on Noah's Ark. Okay. Not that everyone knows out there, but like a, a water slide. It's really quick, and then you're like, "Whoa, what did I just?" Get? That's kind of how this album felt. Yeah, because I I actually think I listened to this album more times, like in terms of the number of times I listened to it front to back, than I have for the last couple of albums we've released. Just because I would kind of put it on, and then all of a sudden I felt like it would just be over, and I was like, "Did I just?" Listen, did I just spend an hour listening to an album? What just mm-hmm. happened? But I do think there are, I mean, there are some moments on this album that I think stand out. Because mm-hmm. it's not all bad. I do think, as overall, I like this album, but it's just not one I see myself listening to. I like the opening track, the Odyssey. It kind of, you know, it gives you, you really get the three guys in the group going off of each other. And they all, uh, in that song, show what their strengths are. Um, I like that song. The other song the other two songs i really liked was i liked ascension which is kind of the loudest and grittiest and craziest song where meech is really i think meech is the one who has the really crazy guttural voice but it has like this crazy group of lines in it that it's just it's really hypnotic and then i like the song uh, new phone who dis which was kind of uh i mean really not digging too deep into it the song just to me felt like a guy who was like drunk or stoned or something who got a new phone and he didn't have any numbers programmed (laughs) so he was kind of just trying to figure out his phone but it was set to all these other things just super bizarre man it's really weird super weird the only one i i had that i liked because i had pretty much the same list was the spike lee joint 
Okay, sure. Which is kind of that was that got a little bit of traction, and actually, Bounce was their only single from this album, which I didn't see. No, like it didn't have a single sound to it, but like I feel like this group, they know how they want to sound, mm-hmm. but they just need to kind of regroup and figure out how you put out a like an album, like a hip hop album, I think, because they they didn't. They totally skipped over the hooks, and and the beats were good, but I think they were really swinging for the fences in terms of this psychedelic thing, and I think they missed. Yeah. Pretty in a lot of cases. Because I think it is muddy and crazy and kind of all over the place, but yeah, psychedelic doesn't come to mind for me because maybe if they were shooting for that, it just... It just seems kind of dirty to me. It doesn't, it's mm-hmm. not like, when I think psychedelic, I think like this kaleidoscope of insanity and all these different sounds coming at you. And this is, it's super monotone. And as the album goes on and on, I almost feel like as the album gets towards the end, it gets almost to the point where you I'm not listening at all because everything kind of sounds the same. And I'm just having trouble following the lyrics and w- what they mean. And when I am listening to the lyrics, they aren't ne- necessarily saying something that has any, at least for me personally, some sort of deeper meaning or something I can at least understand from a different perspective. Right. But yeah, I mean, it was a a good overall, like, I mean, it had some good spots. Mm -hmm. It was solid. Like you said, I think solid's a good way to describe it. Mm -hmm. But what would you rate this, 1 to 10? Uh, I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Uh, I think it's sort of a, I think a good way for me to to put it in my I mean it's an album I'm going to keep in my library I think it's a good background album mm-hmm. you know what I mean like because it's always going there's always beats and there's always lyrics and stuff it's not boring but it's not gripping either it's just a good one to kind of put on or if I'm if I'm ever really in the mood to sit down and like do nothing but 100% concentrate on this album I think it would be interesting to analyze that way but as a regular album it's just okay so yeah. 6 out of 10 for me for me, I have to give it a 5.7 because it didn't it didn't do one-third of what you should do with a hip-hop album, but then it also missed in a few other regards. So, okay. again, I'll keep them in mind. I'm, I'm really, honest, honest to goodness, in, interested to see where they go from here because I think they're immensely talented. I yeah. really do. I, but They really, I mean, they have to be to do some of the stuff. They, they I mean, the rapping on this, it's just so, there's so many lyrics on it that, they were either freestyling and passing it off as a final project, or they mm-hmm. really sat down and, you know, wrote this stuff bar by bar, line by line, all the yeah. way through. It's really a strange thing to listen to. And to to me, this reminds me a lot of Kids These Days, which was a very little-known hip-hop group. But when you look at the skill that came out of that, um, that group had Vic Mensa in it, who's now a major rapper, okay. who's getting a lot of, and also Donnie Trumpet. Oh. And actually, Chance the Rapper's band was made mostly comprised of people mm-hmm. from kids these days. Oh, I didn't know but that. But they never hired a producer. They they released an album, Trap House Rock, and it sucked. Whoa. And it it didn't didn't equal up. I think they need to hire a producer because I think they're producing their own out their own music from what I understand because they're under their own label. Yeah, yeah. And kind of go under that type of confirmation to maybe see what that gets them. Yeah, they just I don't feel like there was a it I mean, it, yeah, there's just no cohesive kind of line to this album. And if you're going to release an album, I think the concept of an album in general is to be a coherent piece of music and I don't just I don't think this was coherent, but they tried to 
they almost tried to put a concept in it with this whole odyssey and they wrapped it up like the end of this album is like a bunch of phone calls from their fans which was kind of kind of strange and i was like oh so i guess people love these guys or what i don't know i don't know who knows yeah it was just all right yeah so that was that. So on to the high-priority news items. Um, last <clears throat> episode, we chatted about Bob Dylan announcing new tour dates, and mm-hmm. pretty pretty big news radio had announced that they're actually going to be doing tour dates in the United States. Um, only two like actual tour dates. There's a bunch of festivals that they're doing, but they're going to do shows at uh, Los Angeles's the Shrine Auditorium and New York City's Madison Square Garden. Wasn't there a whole European leg too, though? There's, yeah, there's, they're going to do that mm-hmm. part. But they don't tour in the U.S. very often. But no. It's really been like seven or eight long, years since they've done anything yeah, like that. Long time. But the band is actually only allowing two tickets per order per spot. So they're actually trying to reduce the impact of vendors and have actually come out right and said, don't purchase tickets from vendors because mm-hmm. um, they think it's fraudulent. But cool to see them on... On the docket. I mean, they're nowhere near us, I don't think. But, uh, no. yeah, I mean, I love Radiohead. And, the, yeah, they're always kind of, a, I mean, whenever they are active and doing something, it's always interesting. And the, this whole issue of concert tickets and secondhand sales and all these different online vendors. And it's really kind of become a mess. And it's just driving ticket sale or ticket prices up and up. And maybe this is the first step in combating that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, who knows? It's it, it's frustrating, and I love Radiohead. I'd love to see them, but well, I th- and, and one other thing that I think is kind of contrary to their whole only two tickets per person is when you have a tour this small. I mean, people are going to be dying. I mean, you're Radiohead; they're one of the most famous bands of all time. Mm-hmm. People are going to be dying to see them, and and I, I think it's kind of unrealistic to expect that nobody's going to sell your tickets sell your secondhand. Ticket for, yeah. If you want to have less of an issue, do a full tour. I understand that Tom York and Johnny Greenwood, they're kind of reclusive guys and all that, but, you know, just be who you are and don't try to complain about it. I don't know. I, I don't want to judge them because I get what they're trying to do, but... Um, they're co-headliners. It's a pretty long list, so bear with me. Uh, J. Cole, Lana Del Rey, Future, Ellie Golding, Disclosure, Major Lazer, Jane's Addiction, Haim, uh, Flume, The 1975, M83, Halsey, Chris Stapleton, Block Party. Really... Interesting that their co-headliner is actually Vince Staples. Yeah, he's really... Their, m- so he's m- blowing up an ASAP Ferg. Yeah, Lollapalooza is always a big... Big draw. Big event, and that's a pretty awesome list. And I actually, I know we don't have this on our outline, but today they announced Summerfest. Oh, really? Too. I mean, they've been gradually releasing some of Because I was looking it. for that. Mm-hmm. So with Summerfest, then, I mean, they released this huge list of people uh willie nelson is going to be playing rise against death cab for cutie garbage is going to be playing there um nelly skillet the fray uh ellie king uh ryan adams billy idol umphreys mcgee cheap cheap trick uh, 311 i know on the main on uh marcus amphitheater there's like selena gomez chris stapleton Oh, who else is playing? A bunch, but they they announced uh, Summerfest as well today, and that's in Milwaukee every yeah. year. That is a good. If you've not been, you should go. It's an just experience. to go. I mean, you don't need to worry about getting unless there's somebody specific you want to see. Just go. I mean, go show up. You don't need a ticket. Just show up and buy it. 
pay at the door and go in. It's cheap mm -hmm. and it's fun. There's drinks everywhere. There's music everywhere. There's people everywhere. There's food everywhere. It's so much fun. And even the, the opening acts, you'll find like yeah. we, uh, my friend Greg and I went to see Kendrick Lamar last year mm -hmm. and there was a country band that was opening called Cam. And we were just like, oh, I don't know who this is. And we were listening to them, they're kind of catchy. And Cam's like a huge country band now. It's like, really? yeah, they blew up since then. Oh, yeah. So it's really cool to see that. But there's a lot of stories like that. But Lollapalooza is a lot more expensive than That's more of a Summerfest. Yeah, Lollapalooza. Summerfest, technically, they say it's the biggest music festival mm -hmm. in the world. But it's... One thing they don't say is that it's spread out over like two weeks. And, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Lollapalooza is more of the like giant stage, and it'll some of those uh, concerts will be filmed for like Blu-rays and YouTube and live streamed and that kind of thing. But and Summerfest is more of a you have to go mm -hmm. and experience it. And yeah, for Lollapalooza, one twenty per day Oof. is the, oh. the festival cost, and then six fifty for VIP, which is only preferential seating. And Summerfest is like 11 bucks. <laughs> yeah, 11 bucks. I think you can get like VIP passes for maybe like 55 Yeah. So yeah. it's big time difference. Again, difference in terms of... Oh, yeah, totally different. I've never been to Lollapalooza, but I know what it's generally like. And I mean, that's a, it's one of the major music festivals every year. Mm -hmm. That and uh, Coachella, uh, Bonnaroo. I would say Bonnaroo is probably bigger. Yeah. And Coachella is probably bigger too, but... I don't know. Coachella is kind of known as like the cutting, the, the yeah, very yeah. most cutting edge of music. Right. So, and then some, unfortunately, RIPs. Uh, last week, Keith Emerson passed away. Yes. Um, and he was a, is a keyboardist best known for his time with Emerson Lake and Palmer. Uh, he took his own life, unfortunately, in Santa Monica, California. He was suffering from severe nerve damage um, mm -hmm. and did elect to take his own life. Wonderfully gifted. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm a big fan of prog rock, and some of their albums are some of the best, like Tarkus, Brain Salad Surgery. I mean, re, I mean, most of their albums. They have some mm. stuff later that I'm not crazy about, but uh, the dude was nuts on the keyboard. Yeah, like innovative, just incredibly talented, precise, creative. He's an awesome guy, and it's just the I mean, just the the most tragic way you could possibly end your life. Yeah. Extensive. It was really sad. He had really extensive nerve damage, and of course, with prog rock, I love love Can. Been a long time fan, and they're kind of of that genre. Yeah. The other one's Fife Dog. That was just today. Just today, founding member of a tribe called Quest. And if you don't know who they are, they they're one of the pillars that hip hop the hip hop you listen to today was founded upon. Mm -hmm. The they um, kind of originated the use of hooks like found hooks in terms of you'd listen to an, a record from Nina Simone or some other very known will act and kind of flip it into a hip hop song. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was one of their, their main MCs and suffered severely from diabetes. Don't know they took the best care of himself, but again, big loss because he was a big part of that kind of movement. And just the tribe called Quest in, in general, they, yeah, like you said, they were innovators. They were the, they were some of the first people to start using, you know, jazz elements and really get into some wacky sampling. And yeah, they changed, they helped change the genre until what it became. So yeah. it's a, it's a major bummer. Big loss, two big losses. Yeah, big time. But um, Two different eras, just as big of losses. Yeah, rest in peace, Keith Emerson and Fife Dog. 
So on to obsessions, uh, you know, I know what I'm obsessed about. Ethan, what are you obsessed about right now at this moment in time? Well, I got two different things. The main thing that's been cooking in in, in the back burner is uh, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of mm -hmm. Justice. I know the critic reviews haven't been great, um, but, uh, you know, they weren't great for Man of Steel either, and I really enjoyed that. I'm, yeah, I like these movies. I, You know, they're not movies I get too excited about, but I'm just pumped to see a long Two and a half hour long action spectacle. I got tickets to see it tomorrow in 3D. And I've just been real pumped. I've been not trying to read too many of the specific reviews. I know they're, again, they're not great, but uh, you know, you can't always take that seriously. And these are the kind of movies that are divisive in general anyway. But uh, I'm pumped about that. And also, the other thing I've been obsessed with is, you know, our, our gear, right? <laughs> am I that was mine too. Am I stealing your we'll, shit again? We'll call, we'll call obsessed. Okay, okay, well you run on it, because we, yeah. Well, no, we were, I think we're both obsessed about the, you had purchased a microphone. I finally got one of our mic, mics, right. Right, and we, today, what I, what I purchased is a Samson MDR6 mixer, we, mm -hmm. months ago, mm -hmm. and it's just been sitting in the basement until I knew one of us was going to get a microphone and just yesterday I actually finally hooked the mixer into the computer but I had no idea if it was going to work <laughs> because I didn't have a microphone. It's and today, funny you waited until yesterday because I bought my microphone last week and it yeah. was shipped and, and uh, delivered this weekend. I think partially mentally I was kind of like well shit what if this doesn't work but <laughs> we we managed we were both I was worried I think pretty sure you were somewhat worried was, that it was going to work but we got we actually recorded a little bit and we were talking and listening to ourselves speak we're not using it now because no. we're we're going to start using it when we both because uh, Nate is getting one you're getting one too yeah in the coming weeks so and we we'll, got just for you if you want to look it up the the the, the mics we're going to be working with our Audio Technica AT twenty 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 twenties yep really nice really nice mic not not going to break your bank either they're nice but they're not like ridiculously priced yeah it sounded amazing hooked into the mixers so we're going to play with that so the first time we record with it it's going to be it's going to be so much different sounding it is it's going to be a different experience too for yeah. us for you for everybody but it worked so that was one of my obsessions the other is i'm still obsessed with the sopranos still wrapping that up oh, gotta I... just get it Ugh. well i finished house of cards season four i think that's what i said last time yeah that's gonna be my other one i've got a might might peg that ahead ahead of son of sons of anarchy yeah, I would. I would recommend House of Cards so. over Sons of Anarchy. But I'm actually, ever since I finished House of Cards Season 4, I haven't been watching really any show. I was going to start really getting into rewatching Game of Thrones, but I just haven't been in the mood. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I got into this thing where I would, if it was like, okay, I wanted to watch this show, and I would, like, force myself to watch it, even though I, if I didn't want to, I would do it anyway. And, man, that's not the right way to live. So I just, mm -hmm. whatever, if I come home from work and I don't feel like watching something or reading something and I want to hang out with my wife which is probably you know the right choice anyway or do this or that I'm just gonna do that and I've just been I haven't been in the mood for any TV lately hmm. so I haven't I've seen a couple movies and stuff but uh just been chilling lots of YouTube listening to some records posted in the cut as they say <sighs> who says that nobody <laughs> but that's obsessions this is weekly neurosis Different sound around the bend. That's oh, that's for sure. It's gonna be so awesome. It's gonna be so amazing. Yeah. It's all for you, all of you listeners. Damn it. God damn it. <laughs>
So anyhow, and also too, you can still comment on our Facebook wall. Anything your little heart desires. He starts twitching when he talks about this. You can do it. Yeah, Facebook, Twitter, at Weekly Neurosis. We've had actually kind of an odd influx of followers lately. I'm not sure if that's just general, you know, Twitter spam shenanigans. But I hope you're all listening and following us on Twitter. Like I said before, with the whole Twitter thing, I have my personal account, which is, if you want to follow me, at BombPopCaper. Uh, B-O-M-B-P-O-P-C-A-P-E-R. <laughs> Anyways, I uh, I sometimes forget to change between my accounts. So sometimes I'll be on Weekly Neurosis and I'll be like tweeting like, oh, I'm, oh my God, I was just listening to the soundtrack and it's super cool. So, you know, if you want to... You should just keep it as Weekly Neurosis. Should that be my new primary? I should just, just have that be your primary, man. You're the Twitter guy and the Facebook guy. Okay. Well, it's kind of happening anyway on accident. So. Yeah. But I'm, I mean, I like to think I tweet interesting things. I think I tweeted the other day something about how I'm a tool because I bought Batman versus Superman tickets. Because <laughs> I, uh, I don't know, I like saw a poster on my way to work and I was like, oh shit. So I get that. As soon as I got to work, I like went on my phone and bought tickets. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I operate. Yeah. But this has been Weekly Neurosis. Numbers. Numbers. Next week, Batman versus Superman. Yeah. We haven't picked an album yet. The theme is going to be. Yeah, I wonder. That's a tough one to pick an album for. We'll see. We'll We'll see. see. We'll We'll research it. Yeah. But anyhow, Weekly Neurosis once again. We are out. And please take care.